And uh, we're going to look this morning at verses 1 through 4, if the Lord permits, and then tonight, verses 5 through 7, okay? And so, verses 1 through 4, the Bible says, The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Father, I just pray now you would just uh, help me to articulate these truths in a way that would glorify you, and I'll praise you in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, amen. You may be seated. Well, I want to ask you a question first. Here's the thing. How many of you, if I would have skipped this text, would have come and called me down on it? Okay. That's the reason I didn't skip it. Okay. No, seriously. The reason I didn't skip it, number one, the Lord wouldn't let me by with it. But here's the thing. You say, well, preacher, this is about elders. This is about preachers. This is not about us. So why do we need to hear this? Well, I'm going to give you several reasons. Number one, because most people don't understand how God set up the church. And a lot of people don't understand what is the role or what is the call upon a pastor. And what happens today is we have a lot of people confused about these truths. And because they're confused about these truths, they're going about doing ministry, claiming it's biblical, but yet it goes against God's very design. And can I tell you something today? If you go against God's design, God has nothing to do with it. And I want to make that very clear today. Okay? And so when we look at this, we're going to look here. Now remember what's going on. Now, I'm just going, let me just say this before I even start this message. There is nothing about me that wants to preach this this morning. And you say, why is that? Are you afraid of preaching about yourself? No. The very opposite. I'm afraid of making anything about myself or even appearing to be about myself. And so, therefore, there is nothing about me that wants to preach this text this morning. But I want to tell you something, folks. If you're going verse by verse through a book of the Bible, God put it in there for a reason. All right? And so I want us to look at that from that standpoint, okay? And I hope and pray you'll understand this is not about me. This is about truth. Okay? And so anyway, so with that being said, look what he says here in chapter 5. The elders which are among you, I exhort. I want to begin by defining of elders. The defining of elders. Because you say, why do you need to define elders? Because people are confused as a term might yo yo about it today. And you say, what do you mean by that? Well, here's the thing. God designed everything. You've heard me say this before. God designed everything in threes. God designed the family. You have father, mother, children. God designed you, body, soul, spirit. God even designed what makes up this world, atoms, protons, neutrons, electrons. Everything God did. How many agree the Trinity is three in one? I mean, everything God did, he did in threes. Well, what about the church? Same. 
The church was founded and the church was designed by God perfectly. Pastor, deacons, laity. So God did everything in threes. In other words, God is perfect in everything he does. Now, what is these elders that he's talking about here? Well, you have these, these believers that are being greatly persecuted. And because they're being greatly persecuted, they're being literally uh, thrown out of their homes. They're being, uh, uh, having to go different places. They really almost become an underground church because of the degree of the persecution. And so Peter is writing here to these believers and writing to these believers, he's also writing to the pastors of these believers that they be very careful in this time that they don't cave in and they continue to preach the word. And they're also, he's also going to say tonight, and they need to be very much aware of the leadership God has put over them for this very purpose. Now, I'll get into all what all that means in just a moment. But so when we look at the term elders, what does it mean? Well, there are some churches out there that believe this. There are some churches out there that believe there's the pastors, which are the elders. Then there are another section, or the pastor, the head pastor, then the elders, then the deacons, then the laity. I got news for you. That's not the way God designed it. In other words, here's what elders mean. There's three words for preachers or pastors in Scripture. The three words are simply this in the Greek. Poimain, which means shepherd, teacher. Then you have the word episkopos, which is translated bishop in the New Testament. And the third word is what's found here, and it's simply this, presbyteros. And this is the word elder. Now, so what do these words mean? These are the three characteristics or definitions of a God-called man. And what are these three things? Well, presbyteros, or elder, speaks of the call of God upon somebody's life. In other words, they've been equipped and they've been called to administrate God's truth. Well, then you have the word bishop or the word episkopos. That word simply means an overseer, one that oversees the things of God when it relates to the church of God. Then you have the word shepherd, which is the word poimain, which you're going to find here in this text. And the word poimain means one that is, takes care or leads the flock of God. And so these are the three words that define a pastor or a preacher in the New Testament. Now, there's some people say that we don't need local assemblies. We don't need the church. Listen, this is a big movement in our country today. And here's what they'll say. They'll say because everybody that's saved is the church, and therefore there is no local church, there's just the church. Well, here's the problem with that. Then everything God called Paul to do, everything God called Peter to do, everything God called the disciples to do, to plant local assemblies, God didn't know what he was doing. And you say, what do you mean? I have people come to me from time to time and I'll talk to them about ministry or about church and they'll say, well, we do church different. And I say, well, what do you do? They say, well, we just meet here and there and yonder. And I say, well, what do you do? And they said, well, we just open up the Bible and discuss it together. I said, and, and you call that your church? They say, yes. I said, who's the pastor? Who's the deacon? 
They say, well, we don't have those. Well, it's not a church because God set up the church with a pastor and with deacons. You say, why is that important? You're going to find out in just a moment because the pastor becomes the spiritual dietitian for the flock of God. And so here's what he's doing. He's addressing these folks as elders, the leaders or the pastors of the church. Now you say, what do you mean pastors, plural? Because here's the reality. In that day, because of persecution and because of location, they would meet in various places throughout the towns. And there would be someone like a Paul or like a Peter that would oversee the whole unit, but then there would be individual pastors that would be the spiritual dietitians of these local assemblies throughout the town. So, for instance, when Paul wrote to the church of Ephesus, he wasn't writing to one assembly. He was writing to multiple assemblies throughout the city of Ephesus. When Paul was writing to the church of Philippi, it was multiple assemblies throughout Philippi. And these letters would be translated or be hidden down or carried to each local assembly that each would be able to hear and read what Paul had to say. Now, listen. So what took place was because of persecution and because of availability, these people would break up into groups and each group, each assembly would have their own pastor. And they were called elders. So you say, preacher, are you an elder? Yes. Are you a pastor? Yes. Are you both? Yes. You say, why am I both? Because they're the same. So how do you define it today? It's simply this. Me and this ministerial staff, Howie, Mike, and Donald, all are called to preach the gospel. Do you all agree with that? Say amen. That means God has set us aside as pastors of this church Therefore, we are elders, as this text would use. We are to what? We are to pr- pr- promulgate the truth of God's Word. And we are to exercise the call in which God has called us to. And can I tell you, the primary call of any pastor is not entertainment, but the Word of God. Okay? It's not felt needs, it's spiritual needs. And so this is what he's dealing with here. Now, so this is the defining of an elder. Now, let me show you the declaration to the elders. All right, so watch what he says here. Peter's writing here to these elders, these pastors of these churches, and he says, I exhort you, okay? Now, this word exhort is the same Greek word that we get the word comforter from, being the Holy Spirit parakletos. It means to come alongside. And he says, I'm coming alongside of you to exhort you concerning God's call upon you, especially in the midst of this persecution that you're enduring. And so here's what he exhorts them. He first gives them the admonishment. I exhort you. I am an encourage you. I am one that is giving you God's direction concerning your call upon your life. Listen, a friend of mine from years ago used to say it this way. Some are called... Some are sent, and some just packed up and went. Not all people that say they're preachers are called of God. Are y'all hearing me say amen? And so he's talking about those that are called of God. That's the reason he uses 
this term elder here. So this is the admonishment. I want to come alongside you, Peter's writing, and I want to help you with your direction. And then notice the association of Peter, who am also an elder. So Peter's writing, listen, how many agree Peter's an apostle? How many agree Peter could have said, listen, you need to listen to me just because I am an apostle. And you need to hear me because I'm who I am as an apostle. No, Peter's saying, listen, I come to you as you are. I come to you called as you are called. I come to you to minister as you are to minister. I come to you because I associate, I identify with God's call upon your life as a pastor. I am as you are. And so listen, Paul's not speaking down to them. Paul's speaking with them. And so Paul or Peter associates himself with these elders. But notice thirdly, not only admonishment and the association, the authority of Peter, but yet at the same time he says, in a witness of the sufferings of Christ. This gets into his apostleship. He said, I am one of you. I am just like you. I am called just like you. But at the same time, God has set me apart. I have set, been set apart as an apostle. Why? Because, listen, any apostle had to be seen the Lord Jesus in his earthly flesh minister and had to be called by Christ and Christ alone. Personally. That's the reason Malchus in Acts chapter 1 was never an apostle. The disciples drew straws, went back to an Old Testament way of doing it after they were endued with the power of high and drew straws. Listen, Jesus didn't call Malchus, the disciples did. It's the reason you don't find Malchus mentioned anywhere else in Scripture. And by the way, you say, well, you can't prove that. Yes, I can. How many of you agree there's 12 apostles? Who replaced Judas as, di as disciple? Paul. So there's only 12. You say, well, how come there can only be 12? Because the Bible says there's 12 foundations in heaven with the 12 names of the apostles. That means if God called Paul and the deacons or the disciples called Malchus, that means somebody made a mistake. And I promise you, God didn't make a mistake. Do you believe I had somebody leave the church over at one time? It's the truth. I mean, listen, this, this is what we need to say. So Paul said, listen, I am coming to you as one of you, but I'm coming to you in his authority of an apostle. And then lastly, the assurance of Peter. And also a partaker of the glory that should be revealed. Here's what Peter said. Here's the last basis in which I come to you this Peter's saying, I come to you. Why? Because like you, I am an elder. But like you, I will be there when it ends. I will share in the glory of my salvation. I will share in the glory of Jesus Christ. I'm a partaker. So I'm like you in salvation. I'm like you in the call. I'm like you in ministry, and I come to you as one like you. And I exhort you, I come alongside you. Listen to me, folks. One-third of my week, almost every single week, at least, sometimes it's more than that, is dealing with other preachers. I get calls every single day from preachers. I meet face-to-face -face at least one, sometimes two times a week with preachers. And I'm telling you today, 
This has nothing to do with me. But preachers today are absolutely in agony with what they're going through in their churches. And all Peter's doing is saying, I know what you're going through. You're being persecuted. Your folks that are being persecuted, they're, they're wondering, why is God allowing this? And God has called you to help them, to be a shepherd to them. Well, this is the declaration to elders. Now, notice thirdly the duty, the duties of elders. So what is a preacher to be about? Well, notice the first thing in verse 2, the mandate of a pastor. Feed the flock of God. Now watch it. Which is among you. Why does he use the term which is among you? In which God has given you the privilege to be a part of. In local assembly. Y'all with me? I had a lady one time, here's what she said to me. I went to talk to her. She, she wasn't going to church, wasn't going to anything. And she said, this is my church right here. And I said, right where? Right here. Just me and the Lord. We've got our own thing going. And I said, okay. She said, and I go on TV and I listen to preaching all the time. So I get preached to all the time, preacher. I don't have to go to church. I said, okay, can I ask you a question? She said, sure. I said, when you die, who's going to do your funeral? You going to call one of them guys on TV? I looked at her. I said, see how that goes. A pastor is to feed the flock of God. Now, you think this just means the word. Oh, it's much more than that. The word feed here is the word that I shared with you earlier, poimain. It's the Greek word for shepherd. So really, the way it reads here is shepherd the flock of God. Now, what does it mean to shepherd the flock of God? Well, you have to look at a few things here, okay? The thing you have to look at is, why did he use the term flock? Well, he's drawing the derivative from sheep and a shepherd. All right, so let me ask you a question. Now, here's these parts where I'm having to trust that you understand this is not about me. Are y'all hearing me say amen? How many of you agree a sheep without a shepherd is in trouble? Did y'all agree with that? All right, who is the chief shepherd? Jesus Christ. How many agree? We are all sheep. What does that mean? Without Christ, we're in trouble. But yet, from an earthly perspective, God gives under-shepherds, under the chief shepherd, to help the flock of God. Now, this term is actually a term of endearment because you have to understand the mindset in the heart of a shepherd. In, a, in the biblical times of a shepherd and sheep. The sheep were considered the shepherd's most precious of all things. Now, I want you to listen to me. I know what I'm about to say is going to rub somebody, but y'all going to love me anyway. Say amen. Even many times, 
above his own family. Because he would have to take these sheep from the low country. During the winter months, he would be in the low country near the Dead Sea. And he would have to journey to the high plains during the summer months because there was so hot down at the Dead Sea in the summer months that there was no green pastures. And he would have to take literally weeks and months and lead those sheep to the higher plains where there would be green pastures. Why? Because he was called to serve a flock. Are y'all hearing me? Say amen. This is what it's talking about. So, what is this mandate? Feed the flock of God. Here's the mandate which is given to us, okay? The word feed has that idea of literally to nourish, literally to provide. So the shepherd, is his primary call is two things. To provide truth and to protect the flock through truth. I have people tell me, say, Preacher, why are you so bold about false doctrine? Because I love you that much. Because, listen, you and I need to understand that if we don't understand what Scripture truly says, we're going to be led astray by what some man says instead of what the Word says. And therefore, the pastor is to be that spiritual dietitian. You say, well, preacher, I can study on my own. You should. Matter of fact, I'll say it this way. Every word that comes out of my mouth, you ought to go home and be a Berean and study it for yourself. Are y'all hearing me? Say amen. You say, why? Because, listen, I'm man. You say, preacher, are you saying you make mistakes? I do! Every single man teaches with a margin of error. So you've got to be willing to study for yourself, and then, listen, if you study for yourself, and you find out, hey, that's what he said, what the Word said, and then you study it, and you say, that's what the Word says, guess what? You're obligated to it. And it becomes provision for you, and it becomes protection for you. Provision how? That the Word would have its impact in your life when those seasons arise in which the Word needs to deal with, or sin in your heart, or whatever it may be. Protection how? That the Word becomes a warning to you. Be careful here. Beware here. Be watchful here. Be looking here. Because here's the thing. Sheep cannot protect themselves. And so you and I have been given the person of the Holy Spirit that instructs us and teaches us, but he teaches us and instructs us by the revealing of the Word of God. That means through your personal time and through the preaching and teaching of the Word. Listen, there's only three ways in which the Bible says you and I are to get the Word. Number one is meditating upon the Word. And I promise you, meditating upon the Word means far more than just reading through it. It literally has this idea of panning for gold, striving, laboring over the Word. It has the idea of, of a cow chewing the cud. Now, I don't want to be gross here this morning, but you know what it means when a cow chews a cud. He takes a bunch of grass, puts it in his mouth, swallows it, burps it back up, chews on it some more, swallows it again. That's what it's called. That's what meditating upon the Word means. 
that you take the word and you labor over it and you chew on 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 it and here's what happens then all of a sudden you'll go through a trauma in your life and the words you chewed on will be your help and your provision in time of need and it'll be your protection from error the greatest problem we have today in the church in America is there's no discernment of truth anymore and the reason there's no discernment of truth because there's very little truth being taught today. We are surfacing things. We're just hitting the highlights. We're not equipping the saints with the truth of God's Word. The saints don't know how to study, so they can't study for themselves. And because they don't have discernment, they can't understand what truth really is. Listen, we live in a day today where truth is error and error is truth. And this is what he's admonishing these pastors, these preachers. He says, feed the flock of God. I want to show you this in Scripture. Acts chapter 6. Boy, I, I, I'm just having to trust the Lord here. You understand my heart when I do this. Acts chapter 6, verse 2. I want you to see the primary call of a pastor. Okay? How many agree a pastor ought to be available to his flock? I agree with that. Y'all say amen. But what is the primary call of the pastor? Right here it is. Acts chapter 6, verse 2. Then 12 called the multitude of the disciples. In other words, he says, listen, we have these affairs, the widows that need to be taken care of. Then 12 called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, it, it is not reason that we should leave the word and serve table. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom you may appoint over this business, for, but we will ourselves continually to pray and minister the what? You say, preacher, are you one of those that don't believe you ought to visit? No, I love it, and I do it all the time. Are you one of those that says, well, the deacons ought to be the one to go to the hospital? No, I go all the time. You say, why do you go? Because sometimes that's the only time I can get somebody hemmed up, I can share them truth. <laughs> it's amazing when you get somebody in a hospital bed, they can't go anywhere. <laughs> Are y'all hearing me say amen? amen? I love what I do. People tell me all the time. People call me at 2 in the morning. Preacher, I am so sorry to bother you. You ain't bothering me. You're only bothering somebody that don't like what they do. Are y'all hearing me say amen? I mean, Greg's my doctor. I feel terrible sometimes. He'll be at church. I say, Greg, you know, my right pinky's acting up. I'm sorry to bother you. Greg tells me the same thing. You ain't bothering me. I love what I do. Hey, it's different when you love what you do. You're only being bothered if you have to do what you do. And I got news for you, folks. I don't have to do what I do. Because I love what I do. You see, it's different. I mean, it's a whole different mindset. And so, Acts chapter 20, verse 28, Paul is charging the church of Ephesus, Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost had made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Feed them! That there'll be provision and protection. They'll have discernment. Well, 
Here's the thing. You not only see the mandate of a pastor, you see the management of a pastor. Watch what he says here. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof. Now what does this mean, oversight? Here's what it means. The context is in relation to feeding the flock of God. Taking the oversight thereof. What's the thereof? Feeding the flock of God. So here's what it means. That a pastor is to supernaturally, not naturally, oversee the truth that is being presented to the flock God's called him to be over. I want you to hear what I'm about to say, okay? This pastor will never, ever have somebody in this pulpit that I have not heard at least two occasions. Ever. Greg, can I use you as an example? You mind? I'd heard about Greg Corn for several weeks friend of mine that's friends of his kept telling me you need to have Greg he's a great preacher I want to tell you something this friend of mine I trust him with my family but before I ever had Greg I had him send me tapes of Greg preaching at his church and then after I heard him I called my friend I said that dude can preach amen how many agree, Liberty? That dude can preach. You say, well, that's not real biblical language. Well, it sure is good language, I said. And so I called Greg. I said, Greg, I want you to come preach for me. You say, why are you that careful? You'll find out in just a minute. Because I will stand accountable to who stands in this pulpit. Because it's, it's a serious thing. Well, the management of a pastor. Ephesians 4.11, he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. This is why it's so important. All right, now, let me show you next the motivation of a pastor. Watch what it says. Not by constraint, nor willingly, nor for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Let me just kindly break these down for you. Not by constraint. What does that mean? Not by compulsion of man. In other words, not because you have to. But willingly. Because you want to. Can I tell you what's real? When God calls you to something, you can't help yourself. I, I tell people that come to me from time to time, say, preacher, I believe God's calling me to preach. I say, well, here's the test. If you can do anything else and enjoy it, God didn't call you. Because it becomes something that gets in your heart. It's like Jeremiah said, the word was shut up in my bones. I mean, God calls a person. And when God calls a person, listen, it's not because they have to. It's not because I need a job. Listen, pastoring is not a job. And if a pastor looks at it that way, he needs to get out of the ministry. And so... 
It's not by constraint of man, but willingly, with a willing heart, supernaturally, God puts a divine desire within their heart to pastor. But then notice what he says. He says, not only not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre. You say, what does that mean? Here's what it means. It simply means this. Something that is gained dishonestly. In other words, pastoring is not to be a business. Are y'all hearing me say amen? I want you to hear this preacher. I'm going to be your shepherd for a moment. Will y'all let me do it? Say amen. When you hear somebody on smell-o-vision or anywhere else trying to fleece people for money, run! I had a lady come to me in the first church I pastored. She said, she said, Pastor, would you go talk to my mama? I said, what's wrong? She said she, she was 85 years old. And she had sent all that she had in savings to one of these men she heard on TV. And I'll never forget, I went and sat down with that precious lady. And I talked to her. I took her through some scriptures because I knew the individual which she had sent the money to. And here's what she said to me. She said, well, preacher, I just felt like I couldn't help myself. I said, why is that? She said, because I've seen him blow and thousands of people fell to the ground. I said, so he's got bad breath. <laughs> Amen? Listen. Not everybody that names the name of Christ is of Christ. Are y'all hearing me say amen? Pastoring is not a business. Now, does the Bible say anything about pastors in regards to God providing for them and their family? Yes. Matter of fact, there's three places in Scripture specifically. Now, I'll let you look them up. But I put them on your outline. If you want to look them up, I'm not going to read them because somebody will think I'm trying to fleece somebody, and I'm not. Y'all say amen. And if you know anything about me, the last concern I have is money. Amen? All right, listen to me. All right, so, so what's the motivation? Well, I want you to look real quick. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. Knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. What's the motivation of a pastor? How many of you agree in biblical times, and even today, a true shepherd loves his flock? How many of you agree if one of his flocks start, staggers off and gets killed by a wolf, that shepherd is broken because he lost one that was precious to him? Would you all agree with that? Say amen. amen. Then why in the world would anybody that's called to preach not want to be true to the Word of God, knowing that every man will stand before a holy God. And some, not at the Bema seat, but at the great white throne, which is for the lost. Listen to me. I believe every time a pastor gets up to preach, 
I don't care if it's Wednesday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night. I don't care if it's a Sunday school class. He ought to preach and study as if it's the last time he'll ever preach or study. You say, why? Because it may be the last time someone will hear it. The motivation. But then notice what he says. Not a filthy lucre, but a ready mind. What does that mean? Eagerly. The mindset of a pastor. Neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. What does this mean, not being lords over the heritage? Here's what it means. A pastor is to be a shepherd, but not a sheriff. You know the hardest thing for a pastor? Is watching someone that you love go down a pathway of destruction and not being sensitive of how to deal with that. Because everything about me, if I see someone I love going down a path of destruction, I want to grab them and go, what are you thinking? They'll say amen. I remember there was, used to be a day when I pastored, somebody would miss two Sundays. Boy, I'd go run into their house. Where have you been? Well, I just wanted to check on you. And then I realized I was being their chef, chef, sheriff. And you can't, can I tell you the most liberating day of my life? is this when I hung up my badge and my gun and let God be God it's not that I didn't care it's not that I didn't check on them but see I would panic and can I tell you panic's not rest are y'all hearing me say amen I mean listen this is what it's saying not to be Lord over God's heritage. Let me give you a passage for this. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23 and 24. Moreover, I call for record unto, your, unto my soul that I spare you as I come not unto you unto Corinth, not for that we have dominion over your faith, but as helpers of your joy, for by faith you stand. Let me tell you the role of a pastor. It's to feed the flock of God where they don't have to be dependent on the pastor. They can be dependent upon God. Because I want you to hear me. Pastoring has never been about the pastor. It's always been about him. And if a pastor builds within his church a dependence upon him, he has failed the very people that he loves. Are y'all hearing me say amen? amen? All right, let's look. The manifestation of a pastor. Being examples to the flock. What does this mean? It means that it's not just feeding the flock with truth. It is displaying the same truth before the flock. In other words, how many agree, parents? If you live by this mindset, not what I do, but what I say is what matters. How many agree? Your kids are in trouble. 
But can I tell you the same is true with a pastor? And you're to be examples unto the flock of God. In other words, y'all ought to see in me what I'm trying to teach to you. Now you say, preacher, does that happen all the time? No. You say, what do you mean no? I'm still growing in grace and knowledge too. Are y'all hearing me say amen? But here's the thing. When I'm not, I try to be honest about it. This is still an area God's working on me. Are y'all hearing me? I think sometimes people think pastors, well, they're way up here and we're way down here. I got news for you. I put my britches on just like you do. I struggle. You see, being an example is not being someone that makes everybody else feel down here. Being an example is showing an example of even in their struggles, they can still trust God. Are y'all hearing me say amen? I mean, listen, guys, this is just simple stuff. Well, let me show you the last thing, and I'm going to let you go. The destiny of the elders. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. There's six, some say seven crowns given in Scripture. All those crowns except for this one deal with all of us. But this one is for those called to preach the Word. There's three things here, and I'm going to go through this real quickly, the appearance that most occur. When does this crown be given? When the chief shepherd shall appear. All right, I want y'all to listen to me, okay? Me as your pastor, Howie, Mike, Donald, what we do in relation to truth matters. And until the Lord Jesus appears, or until we breathe our last breath first, we're always going to be accountable to not just what we teach, but how we teach what we teach. And so what you find is the appearance that must occur, then you find the accountability that must occur. All right, I'm going to give you this verse, okay? Listen to me. Hebrews 13, verse 17, here it is. Obey them that have rule over you. Paul's writing to these Hebrew believers. Obey them that have rule over you. Why? Submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls. As they that must give, what? Account. That they may do it with joy, not with grief. For that is unprofitable for you. Now, I don't want you to raise your hand because I don't want you to scare me. Y'all say amen. But how many of you have had a pastor for lunch before? 
I didn't say literally inviting to lunch. I said had the pastor for your lunch. I want you to listen to me. Y'all love me? Say amen. No matter what church you've ever been in, no matter how hard you were on your pastor at any church you've ever been in, God's judgment is what's going to matter. You see, guys, you've got to understand my heart. There's very various reasons why I love doing what I do. Number one, because God called me, and number one, he's worthy. And God enables, okay? But I want you to listen to me. Y'all make it easy for me to be your pastor. You mean that as a compliment or a what? Yes, a compliment. You say why? Because there is a lot of folks that love the Word of God here. Now listen, folks. I've preached in churches that if somebody got up and went to the bathroom, that was the only movement you would ever see. You say, why? There was no light. No desire. And the greatest fear I have is God put me on the shelf. You say, preacher, you arrived not even close. But I know this, one day I'm going to stand accountable to God. Of every syllable, every vow, every noun, every adverb that ever came out of my mouth before you. Lastly, and I'm done. The award of a pastor. A crown that fadeth not away. The idea of this word comes from the Ithian games. It's a wreath that was given to those that ran the race. But remember this, the crown is not for us to be able to say, look what I've done. Listen, I, I used to be a really good golfer. And, um, and I mean, I'd, I've won a lot of trophies over the years playing golf tournaments. As a matter of fact, I had some trophies that would stand this high. And, and I, I'll be honest with you, I... I, I when I was growing up as a teenager, man, I'd put them trophies and I'd, I'd look at them and I'd go, wow. But I promise you, when I get to heaven, I'll never get to stand before the Lord and say, Lord, look what I've done. Here's what'll happen. I'll fall on my face before him and I'll take that crown that he gave me and I'll lay it at his feet and I'll say, Lord, look what you've done. Look at the souls you saved. Look at those that grew in their understanding of you and the Word. Look what you did. 
So the reward is really for him, not for us. Well, you say, preacher, what does this got to do with me? Here's something I've learned. You can't feed somebody that's not hungry. So here's a simple invitation I have for you. How many of y'all hungry to be fed? Father, I love you, I praise you, and I thank you. You glorify yourself in this time and this invitation. And I'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.